three. Welcome to episode number 169 of CXO Talk. CXO Talk brings you conversations about disruption in the enterprise, leadership, innovation, and we have what is probably the largest video library on this topic with executive interviews anyplace. And today I'm speaking with Nagesh Rao, who is the chief technologist and entrepreneur in residence at the U.S. Small Business Administration. Nagesh, how are you today? Good. How are you, Michael? I'm great. And thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, Nagesh, tell us about the U.S. SBA and tell us what do you do? Sure. No, and thank you, Michael. And, and to the audience, it's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for taking time out on a Friday afternoon to hear this, uh, what I hope to be a lively conversation. My name is Nagesh Rao, as Michael has mentioned. And as the chief technologist for the U.S. Small Business Administration, I actually work on a very cool special program. It's the Small Business Innovation Research Grant and Contract Program. And it is housed within the SBA's Office of Investment and Innovation. And that's where I serve as chief technologist because it's a little bit of a unique interagency initiative program from a federal-wide government. So the SBIR program has been around since 1982, and it is America's seed fund. And when I say America's seed fund, I literally mean it is a seed fund for high-tech startups and high-tech small business companies to engage in the necessary federal government's research and development programs, but with the commercialization bent to do that innovative research and technology development for the federal government needs and the general public's need. Uh, it's a $2.5 billion dollar annual seed funding program in the forms of grants and contracts for the small businesses to work with agencies on projects from Department of Defense all the way down to Environmental Protection Administration. You've probably heard of companies like Polcom, Biogen, Symantec, probably seen 3D printing in the Roomba vacuum cleaner. Maybe you've heard of LASIK surgery. The origin point for a lot of those technologies, industries, and companies is the SBIR, STTR programs. They seed funded in a non-dilutive man manner the origins of the technologies R&D uh, development and commercialization. And what's really interesting is, is that the government, when I said non-dilutive, I, I really mean it. We don't take an equity stake. All we ask is that you use the funding to do the necessary R&D efficiently, effectively, and appropriately, and honestly. And the return on investment for the American government and for the American taxpayer is high-tech innovation, growth, and development spurred on through these catalytic funding opportunities. And as a result of that, sorry, Michael, as a result of that, I was recruited from the private sector a few years ago to help co-manage and, and run that initiative. I worked for Mark Walsh, who is the, our associate administrator, Michelle Schiff, the deputy associate administrator, and John Williams, the director of innovation and technology. They're all senior executive service members who I work for on helping do all, uh, envision, brainstorm, ideate, and develop the collaboration opportunities internally with the interagency initiatives from the federal government side, but then externally with the uh, public and private sectors, nonprofit sectors to help evangelize and further build out the use of this funding opportunity to seed fund these catalytic transformations in technology development. 
So you say that you are America's seed fund and you have two and a half billion dollars to invest, and yet you do not take an equity stake in the companies in which you invest. So how does this work? Where exactly does the money come from? Is it within the, you're part of the Small Business Administration, does it come from you, does it come from agencies? How does it, how does that part of it work? Sure, so the funding, <clears throat> the funding actually comes from the federal government's uh, agencies, from Department of Defense, NASA, National Science Foundation, Homeland Security, um, USDA, Education, those are some of the many agencies that participate in this program. They hold the funding through their extramural, what's called extramural research and development budgets. The federal government's extramural research and development budget is usually around 130 to 140 billion per year, and it is set aside for the federal government to do that necessary research and development through extramural partnering activities. And so, about for fiscal year 2016, three percent of that budget has to be set aside for small business companies to do that innovative research and development. The agencies are the ones who administer the funding opportunities. The U.S. Small Business Administration is the umbrella organization that oversees the programmatic and policy oversight of the program. And so we help oversee it and then work with the agencies to collaborate and engage with the public and and find new opportunities and scout for new innovation pipelines to encourage small business companies and high-tech startups to engage with those agencies and apply and develop those technologies forward. So... A good example would be a company like Made in Space. They are engaging with NASA's SBIR, STTR program, and they're the small business company that is actually literally developing the 3D printing technology on the International Space Station. So when we heard about a year and a half ago that the space station was able to 3D print something on space, what folks didn't realize was that it was done through a SBIR-funded company called Made in Space. So how does a company apply to get this money? Sounds like a pretty good deal. You hand out money and you don't take equity, but you must get something in return. Is it that you want these people to be nice to you so you, so you give the startups and entrepreneurs a lot of money? Is that it? <laughs> what we're looking for is economic, it, you know, the end goal is economic development, job creation, wealth creation, and, and maintaining America's innovative technological leadership. Um, a lot of countries have actually tried to replicate our program. I've t- discussed this with folks up north in Canada to folks in Sri Lanka, Vietnam. In Europe, they have something similar called the Horizon 2020 program. Uh, in Brazil, they're looking to develop their own versions as well. But what the interesting thing is, is that what makes ours unique is that we don't take an equity stake, and there's a reason why. It, it just doesn't make sense in our free market society to allow for that state-owned enterprise to occur. All we want to do is spur and incentivize our growth. And by doing it with less, um, you know, as is, it's it, the paperwork and whatnot to apply is a bit lumb- uh, cumbersome. So to add on top of that, oh, the government's going to own a little bit of your technology or own part of your company, it just doesn't make it a savory topical area of interest. So we, we step out. We let the market dictate forward. But what we need to do and what we like to do is we seed fund more high-risk, high-reward-driven technology platforms and technology um, companies that are willing to do the stuff that the free market might not deem savory right off the bat. And so, for example, with 3D printing, and, and I'll get to that, how does one apply in a second, 
we, the SBIR program was actually catalytic in funding the development of that technology and industry back in the 90s. Some of the earliest companies that were doing it were small business companies like uh, Z-Corp, Geomagic, and DTM. And what was interesting was is that it was federal funded opportunities that incentivized those companies and those entrepreneurs to actually do that technology development that the VCs and the angels would just wouldn't touch because it was too risky of, a, of an investment bet to make at that time. So what we're doing is we're helping, it's an augmentation and helping with de-risking of the technology. And the end goal for us is that it will commercialize and it will maintain our leadership, but it will also help seed fund that promising next generation technology that we need in order to maintain and grow as we culturally, as we technologically evolve over time. And for someone who is interested in applying for the program, we actually at SBA created a gateway business intelligence platform, and that is at www.sbir.gov. We created it as a one-stop shop platform that helps provide the necessary input and intel to a promising entrepreneur, innovator, or small business company that is looking for funding opportunities and, and may not realize that there are different pools of funding and different types of funding that are available on that on that site. Currently, we have funding from Health and Human Services, uh, Department of Defense, and National Science Foundation. And what's really interesting is, is that they definitely go into their own directions from a science and technology mission perspective, but there's definitely a bit of an overlap. And so what's really interesting is that if you're supposedly – Supposing you're working on something that relates to Internet of Things, and it might have an health aspect to it. Well, to be honest with you, a National Science Foundation is funding some of that development of that technology, but so is Health and Human Services and Department of Defense. They just won't call it Internet of Things. We, we all call it a little bit different. You know, what we may think as robotics for, at one agency is autonomous systems at another agency, and there's a reason why. It's because each of the agencies will operate under either a branch or contracting perspective. And more, more importantly, they're going to have different needs. And we, we try to be agnostic, but broad and specific at the same time. And so you have these different interplays occurring. As for applying, like I said, you can go through sbr.gov. It is a one-stop shop to help assist in figuring out where you want to apply and who to apply with. But then we, we port through at the different solicitation funding opportunities the actual instructions and the link to the agency that's funding and be able to then click on and go through the application process at the health and human services program or department of defense or national science foundation or department of energy, whatever it may be with a granting agency with the exception of the national science foundation, they will operate through grants.gov for the formal application process. Whereas with the contracting agency, they have their own specific contract portal that you would work through. But the whole point of SBA.gov is to take all those different zigzags and funnel through a, a central point so that you can at least get to where it is you want to get to in a quicker format. What, Nikesh, what is the criteria for getting <coughs> one of these grants? Maybe you can yeah. just, yeah, because that's, that's what everybody wants to know. That's what entrepreneurs want to know is, I have this great technology. How can I be part of this funding process? Absolutely. So one, one of the first important things to do is to re- remember that you have to be U.S. majority owned, uh, for-profit small business company. Now, does that mean you have to incorporate? Not necessarily <clears throat> at the upfront, but if you do win 
if your proposal does win funding, then you do have to make sure you incorporate. But that's going to include all the steps of getting your EIN set up, your DUNS number set up. You have to make sure that when applying it for, for a particular funding opportunity that you're addressing the needs in that application. The program managers from the different agencies that will fund are looking for technical skill set. They're looking for business skill set. And they're most importantly looking for that you've got something that's potentially feasible. And we operate this program on a three-phase process. So what's interesting about SBIR, and as I said, it's an augmented funded source, is that phase ones, you have up, you can win up to $150,000 in a grant or contract. And I refer to that as being akin to an angel investment. So when we think about an entrepreneur who's going through the funding, the funding life cycle from idea, you know, napkin to lab to marketplace, we've always talked about bootstrapping, followed by friends and family followed by angel investors followed by venture capital and venture capital breaks out into corporate venture capital and private sector and private venture capital <clears throat> in between the angel and the friends and family is where I think, especially if you're working on high risk, high reward, high technology driven, high growth technology driven application development is where SBIR fits in nicely. And a phase one is up to $150,000 grant and contract. And that's very much akin to an angel investment. And a phase two is up to a million dollars. And that's very akin to a series A. Now, I'm just giving you the formal caps. There's actually a hard cap of $225,000 for phase one and $1.5 million for phase two. And then actually above that, you can go above it, but then it gets into the technical details of wavering. But the point is, is that, you know, if you have a promising idea, you can get some significant money to help seed fund the R&D. Now, what's really interesting, too, is, is that with that phase one and phase two funding, phase one is all about feasibility study and developing the proof of concept. Phase two is if you do a really good job in your phase one, the agency will then give you a phase two and say, that looks promising, and we think that could be a really viable prototype. So here's a million dollars, scale it up and grow. And what's really interesting, too, is, is that the program is pretty success, uh, popular. We get about 16 to 20% acceptance rate at a phase one. And then of those phase ones, around 25, 30% mature into phase twos. But they tend to be a bit more disruptive technologies and they tend to be a bit ahead of its time. But it's really for those folks, those visionaries who are looking to develop, um, you know, far reaching technologies ahead of its time. And what the best part is, is that because it's been de-risked by the federal government, and no equity has been lost at, after a phase two anyways, if the company has done a really good job, there's something called a couple of options. And that's what we refer to as phase three. <clears throat> and for contracting agencies like NASA and defense, we call this notion spin in. And that is where the government is seeking for that technology to be developed for government use down the road, for the warfighter, for the space mission programs, whatever it may be. And that is where, you know, the federal government will encourage you to partner with the primes, the Orbital ATKs, the Lockheed Martins, the Northrop's, the Raytheons. We will help in make those introductions and inroads so that you can be part of that supply chain process. And at the phase three, that's where it's actually like a 20, 30, $40 million contract to help develop. You know, you've done a great job with the prototype and the government saying, I need 10,000 of those units now. So let's start producing. Um, for the granting agencies like National Science Foundation, the National Institutes of Health, they will kind of they will 
usually generally an emphasis on more commercialization for the public's good. And they will do all sorts of meetings, meet and greets, bidders, conferences, whatnot, to encourage you to grow with the private sector and connect you to the right folks in the private sector. But then st- we step out. We step step out of it. We'll make an introduction, and then we'll step out of it and say, figure it out from there. But here, here are folks who you may want to engage with and talk to. And what we like to do is bring all the different folks together. Right. And then we get out of it, out of the room and say, it's on you. But okay. we will make those introductions and facilitate. And what's really okay. nice to the VC and the private sector community this year, it's like, oh, the technology is funded. They go, that's the seal of the golden eagle. It's been de-risked and there's some promise right. to it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have funded it. Uh, we have a couple of questions from Arsalan Khan on from Twitter. He's his interesting questions. He's wondering. Uh, he's assuming we assume first off that you're only funding emergency emerging technology, but then he's wondering about the success rates of these companies. And in addition, do you need to have a patent before you can apply for an SBI uh, funding grant? So let me address the patent. No, you don't need a patent. Uh, in fact. If you patent any of the technology through as a result of SBR-funded research and development, you keep the patent. We actually encourage you to own and keep that intellectual property. And it, what, and I won't get into the legal construct of it all because it will go for days, but there's a pr- provision called the Bayh-Dole Act. And the Bayh-Dole Act says that if you're a non-for-profit institution or a small business company and you've engaged in federal-sponsored research, the intellectual property that is derived, you get to keep. You get to own it. Done and simple. And so what's really interesting is, is that you don't necessarily need a patent. I mean, it helps, but what we're really hoping you do is you actually develop that promising technology that's not fully baked out. That's the whole point of a phase one is, is that it's not fully baked out. And so it's in its nascent stage. And if it's promising and we think there's some feasibility and merit to it, we will fund you to develop it further so that it becomes, it's reduced to practice. Now, with respect to, uh, Arsalan's other couple of questions, it was, um, uh, there was uh, sorry. Success, success rates <laughs> and do you only fund emerging technologies emerging. at what, so, what stage of funding uh, of technology it, development? It is. Yes, it is emerging. It's generally nascent, but it's nascent in the sense of like if the free market, we we're filling a dearth in that, in that what they ever always call the Valley of death in commercialization. We're filling a little bit of a dearth at that early phase, you know, phase zero, that, that nascent front. Now, when I said 3D printing back in the 90s, yes, we, we see funding the origins of that, of, that, of that principal technology in the beginning. And then we got out for a bit. You know, it was growing on its own. And what's really interesting is, is that we put some funding back in again in 3D printing space because it kind of needed it. And that was in areas where it was related to um, food, space, and... Um, environmental security and whatnot. And so some of the promising technologies that are coming in the 3D printing space, made in space, Epibone and Modern Meadow are actually addressing much necessary needs. Modern Meadow has actually figured out a way to 3D print um, meat, essentially, and leather products and whatnot. Um, Epibone has been able to figure out how to 3D print and, and, and they're pioneering the 3D printing of muscle tissue, bone, you know, that, that sort of stuff so that you don't have to go through the laborious process when getting a skin graft or, or replacing, you know, a, a lung or kidney or whatnot. You can actually print out the organ for you instead of having to wait for a donor. Um, and, and like I said, with Made in Space, it's actually pretty interesting. You know, when you think about the explorers back in the day when they came to the 
to, to the new world, they didn't bring the old world with them. They just brought the, the necessary equipment to do the job and then work with the resources here. With 3D printing, that's kind of the same notion. We're not going to bring all our resources with us and then go to the uh, colonize another planet. You know, if you think about why we're surveying Mars and, and, and all that stuff, that's a lot of geochemistry readouts we're doing with the different rovers. It's because we're trying to figure out what are the building blocks and the building materials there that we can then use and adapt into a 3D printer to print out you know, the infrastructure that is necessary for those, for, for, for the, the housing and whatnot. Now, success rate. So I said, if the success rate of getting a phase one is around 16 to 20%, getting a phase two, maturing into a phase two, around 25 to 30% usually. But what was interesting, I was looking this up uh, the other day, I found a paper uh, looking at the success of the commercialized dimensions, the commercialized technology, it's close to almost 50% now. It, you know, when you think about it, it what's funny is, is those, the, so the mobile wireless device that you know, everyone knows about, your, your iPhone and all that, folks don't realize about 70% of the components of that technology, actually its origin point of funding for developing it was from the SBI program, whether it was the processor or even the, um, the, the biometric scanning, that was a company called Ultrascan Corporation that pioneered the development of that technology. Um, there's a lot. It's pretty amazing. Uh, we're talking with Nagesh Rao, who is the Rao, chief is technologist of the uh, uh, Small uh, Business small Administration. Business. Now, how, now do how do you compare to VC investment? VC investment. What are the pros and cons? So a venture capitalist is great because they're bringing their network and they've got a lot of money and they can cut out a big check and they're less burdensome and cumbersome to do it. Absolutely. Um, but it's different or it's comparing apples and oranges, to be honest with you, because, you know, they take equity stake, they want some ownership, they're going to manage and dictate your board. Um, and I remember seeing that back when I would work on startups out in the Bay area, I, hear the horror stories from my friends and also some good stories too, but there's definitely you know, like when a bit of the takeover and the founder is all of a sudden kind of pushed around and pushed over or, you know, for us in the program, we're not interested. We want to empower the founder. We want to empower the team and, and encourage them to do the development properly. And we just want to get out of the way, but we're incentivizing them. We're using this as a catalytic investment and a catalytic incentivization to get them to do that necessary R and D in areas of, interests like environmental security, food, water, health, um, national security, to tackle those tough problems and those issues that would and, and figure out solutions for a billion people in mind, not, not just one or two people. So, Transformational uh, technology. Are there... Um, are there um, wow, we have an echo. Wow, we have an echo. Oh. Turn your volume down. Turn your volume down. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. This is live video, folks. So if you have questions for Nagesh Rao, who is the chief technologist of the SBA, and we're talking about small business innovation research funding, and this is a way of applying to the government and basically getting a, a no-strings grant. So if you have questions, we're on the hashtag CXOTalk on Twitter and ask away. 
So how do you make the selection process? Who actually decides? And I'm assuming that since you're here, you have some sort of coupon code so that people watching can get an automatic uh, grant from you, something like that. So the, the federal funding, the federal funding opportunities um, this, for the selection criteria are done by the agencies themselves primarily with their, and they all have different peer review processes. So, you know, whether it's National Science Foundation or National Institutes of Health Defense, they all have their own review process, but they will, they will convene industry experts, business leaders, and science and technologists in, in the same room generally, and they will review the proposals. They will go through it line by line and see who they think is promising, who, who's going to do a good job, and who they think will actually be able to carry forward on, their, um, on the potential feasibility and, and development of the technology. Um, the thing to keep in mind is know your audience. So for folks like National Science Foundation, Department of Energy, and, and National Institutes of Health, they're granting agencies. They use a little bit of a hybrid between the academic and the business review process, whereas with Department of Defense, they are really looking for hardcore science technologists. There is a bit of a business acumen, but you know, at the end of the day, defense is going to be looking at those small business companies and saying, the long term is that you're going to develop this promising technology and then partner with our primes because the primes have the manufacturing capability to be able to do that mass manufacturing and we want to be able to work with them. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag. It, it really does vary agency to agency, but the whole point is, is that we're looking to small business companies to do that innovative research and development it, from an applied and commercialized perspective. I think that's the unique thing that makes our program very successful. Um, no knock on the universities and, and having worked at a university tech transfer office years ago and, and whatnot, universities are very thorough, a bit more, it's very basic R&D. There is applied perspectives there, but you know, most university um, folks are still thinking from a, from a notion of, oh, I'm gonna solve this problem. And, and from the applied perspective, it's, I'm going to solve this problem with a purpose in mind of actually, you know, taking that discovery and putting it into action. Now, I know a lot of universities are starting to pivot towards that mindset and make sure there's a bit more of an applied perspective. And, 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 and it's wonderful, but at the end of the day, you know, a small business company, I think one of the things that makes it a little bit um, incentivized and in, in why you will get a little bit more of a stronger catalyst with a small business company than a university is really the risk factor for a small business company. It's do or die for university. It's like, eh, it didn't work. Okay. I go back to the drawing board and I have my job to, to, to keep me happy. And so, you know, there is, when you think about it, those different incentivization parameters around it's, it's easy when you're tenured faculty to just kind of chill out for a moment and if failure happens, well, I can, I have something to work with. Whereas with a small business company, if failure happens, that's it. They're done. So they have to be very smart and strategic and driven to get that success going forward more. When you receive these applications, um, what are the initial filters that you look at? So what are the characteristics of companies that that make it through the first gateway? And what advice do you have for companies who obviously are applying and, and want to make it through just the initial filtering process that you must go through? Team, team, team. Team, like having a good idea. Well, one, following the instructions and following the directions. I know there's a lot of boxes to check off and I's to dot and T's to cross, but it's always important to do your, it's free money. 
but with that free money, we just expect you to do the paperwork correctly because that's <clears throat> it, it's just important to us to make sure that you, you're doing it right and there's no fraud, waste, abuse activity occurring. Um, I think the other thing is is that you have to have a good, solid team. It's always important to have a good, strong science and technical acumen with the business acumen and with the you know the, the a little bit of the market acumen and, and figuring out what it is you're developing all together. I think, and a little bit of legal too. It's always important to have some legal advisors with you, especially when you're thinking about patents, trademarks, copyrights, and and uh, more importantly, just figuring out the patent landscape. Because if you do develop some innovative stuff, you want to patent it. Um, I think another important key attribute in a filter for us is that you know what you're talking about, that it conveys in a very clear, eloquent, and simplified manner what it is you're looking to do and how, how you're solving an unmet need and addressing the issues of the, of the federal funding opportunity, the problem statement per se, you know, contracting agencies like defense and NASA are going to have a bit more of a problem statement. We have, we need this specific coding in mind, or we need this specific um, AI system for our, you know, warfighter, whatever it may be. But whereas granting agencies like, even U.S. Department of Agriculture and whatnot, they're, they're looking a little bit more broader and bigger pictures. Like, okay, you come up with an idea for food security, but how are you going to commercialize it and make it more effective and deployable? And it, and it does vary also as to a phase one versus a phase two. A phase one is really more a feasibility study of like, I've got this idea, I've got this solution or technology, promising technology to help increase food yield um, with with this, you know, next generation crop rotation and using this autonomous system to help do that. <clears throat> but then actually carrying, all, carrying out what it is you can do to then scale it up and, and win the favor of those agents and say, yeah, that's actually really promising and we'll fund it further because we think it can scale up further. I think a good example of that is Alteros Energy, actually. So what's really interesting, Alteros was funded by U.S. Department of Agriculture, and what they did was they repurposed aerostats. I don't know if anyone are familiar with aerostat technology. It uh, came from the Air Force, and essentially it's a, it's, a, it's a wind turbine helium device that floats up in the sky, and it was really designed more from, if I recall, from like a satellite kind of communication technology. <clears throat> what these guys did was kind of take – some of the same application of that technology and pivot it towards energy creation. So there's terawatts of energy. When you get up to about the Empire State Building height and up, 2,000 feet up higher, you're dealing with constant streams of wind flow. It's, if you've ever been to a hot top of a skyscraper or, or the Empire State Building, you always notice it's windy because the winds are going all around over and over and that's terawatts of energy essentially floating up there and what these guys did was they figured out a way to take this aerostat technology and with the helium float the turbine up into the sky and then it's tethered by a cable down to generators and it's just basically generating energy nonstop and in sending it down the, the cable. What's really interesting about what Alteros did was they got the funding from USDA because the USDA put a said, we need to solve these energy systems, you know, deploying energy in the rural environments, getting energy to the rural communities and, and, and for the farming community, because energy is 
you know, it, it, it's coal or it's petrol or whatnot. And it's, you know, it's got to be compact and it's got to be easily transportable. That's what, you know, makes coal and petrol very um, savory versus, you know, some of the aspects with solar, wind turbine um, and hydro and, and, and the economic differentiation. It's got to be at a price point of economics for anyone to be willing to go over for the switching costs. So Alteros figured a way to do that. And they figured it out in the rural areas of uh, the rural part of the country, but it's great for the coastal regions too. But what was really cool is because they did such a good job and USDA was, is, it's becoming a USDA SBIR success story. Um, what's really funny is they got the attention of Brett and Tata. So anyone who's familiar with the Tata family out of India, Tata is a major company. Retnan Tata is basically the Bill Gates of India. And uh, he now is uh, putting money into the company because he wants that technology developed and deployed in India. So it's this great, great opportunity all of a sudden where they took this technology solution where they developed here in the States for a specific need to USDA uh, was seen in the rural community for energy access to then find international markets willing to jump on it quickly. And especially in emerging economies where it's a blank canvas, it's perfect. So you uh, apply for the loan, you grant, or, grant, or for grant, sorry, not, not, not loan. You apply for the grant. And if you successfully go through the program, at the end of it, it's your technology, you own it completely, and there are no strings attached from the government, right? Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much? Pretty so, much. I mean, there, so there is this one provision where in the, from the Bayh-Dole where it said, <clears throat> if the federal government needs to use it, we have margin rights. So the notion is if the federal government needs to really desperately use the technology, we reserve the right to use it license-free and whatnot, but it's never really happened. We've never marched in. We don't. What, what, because we really, that's not our, we're not going to, we're not in the business for that. We're in the business of making sure you develop the technology, you go chase the markets and you commercialize it and get it out into the hands of the, of the masses. So we've never really done that and we never will. Are you, are you partners with the venture capital community or are you competitors of the VC community? collaborators um not really competitors i mean well i guess in a way if a vc has got this mindset of like i want to own all these companies and promising ideas and and own it for myself perhaps but that's really not the case it's more of we're we're collaborators and we're a, a pathway to success we are a very different avenue for our roi is very different from what a vc's roi is and our ROI is we're looking 7, 10, 15 years down the road. Um, A VC is looking one, two-year horizon. You know, we have different internal rate of returns because for us, it's all about job growth, job creation, economic wealth and development and and technological leadership. And we really are trying to forecast and tackle problems or issues ahead of its time. Um, Story time again. Remember in 2014 when we had the whole situation with Ebola and, and everyone was getting a little frantic and we were trying to figure out what solutions were out there. Well, there was one solution that was put out there to test and it was tested out. It was a, it was a drug derivative of a tobacco leaf and it was called ZMAP. And that technology, the ZMAP drug that was being tested out was developed by a small business company out of San Diego called Map Biopharmaceuticals. 
what folks didn't realize was that MAP, Biopharma, MAP Biopharmaceuticals got its origin point of starting the company and doing some of this innovative R&D in the biopharmaceutical drug development from the NIH SBIR program. And specifically that drug that was used, the ZMAP drug, that was SBIR funded technology, phase one and phase two from the NIH. What folks don't realize is that NIH was actually funding the development of that cure in 2008. 2008, some of the program managers at NIH were like, this might be something we need to think about. We don't know. Let's put a solicitation out because it might come up. And that's what happened. And 2014 rolls by and you know, this experimental drug is going through the works. It's got to get cleared through FDA and, and whatnot. But the, the whole idea is, is that NIH had the foresight to say, this might be an issue to think about. So let's start thinking about it now. So it's a pretty extraordinary um, collection of technologies. We have uh, 10 minutes or, or less left. So what advice do you have for, I keep coming back to this because I think this is what everybody wants to know. What advice do you have for companies who want to apply for an SBIR grant? And once you go through the paperwork, what's the, from, the, from the point of view of the, of the recipient company, what's the process? So they, they submit the grant application and then what happens? What's the pathway to actually getting a check? Yes. Okay. So one of the most important things I can tell folks is that in order to compete effectively and, and put a promising, get, to win the funding and have a promising oper- chance at it, it's always important to go and connect with the program managers from the SBIRs to tier programs, get to know them better. And SBIR.gov is a gateway to do that. We actually list the, all the contacts, the phone numbers for those program managers whom you can reach out to and do an introduction. Now, if you want to get the attention of a program manager because they get hit up a lot, um, best way to do it is come to an SBIR road tour event or the National SBIR Conference, which is the national conference is here in D.C. from May 23rd to the 25th. All the program managers will, will be there. We have a road tour program. If you go to SBIRroadtour.com, we're going across the country and bringing the program managers across, across the U.S. to different cities where there is an SBIR event with the program managers there within a 250-mile distance. We are sitting down, and the, all the agency program managers are sitting down and doing one-on-one counseling sessions where you can sit down, talk about your technology, talk about what it is you're looking to do, and get a better sense of what it is the program managers are looking to fund and, and, and develop, have you develop. Now, what's important is do your homework. So if you go to sbr.gov, if you go under the award section, you can see what we funded in the past. We have all the data up there to show you what the projects and the type of uh, technologies we funded in the past. And that's good business intelligence. That tells you, you know, what our interest level are. So get to another program managers, get to sit down with them. We do, uh, we're actually unveiling in July on sbr.gov, a 10-course module uh, system where you can get trained very quickly in, in 10 courses on the basics of how to compete and apply and put together a, a, an effective proposal. Um, so get to know the program managers, go through the course content on sbr.gov. I think once, if you do a great job and you get funded, um, once you go through all the different bits of the paperwork, you get the money. That's it. 
like it, for a contracting agency and a granting agency is a little different. So a contracting agency, it's a bit more milestone driven. So you're going to have deliverables and you're going to have to, you know, every month do a billing, uh, a, a billing uh, re- receipts for, for the goods and services that you're providing back to the government. Uh, for a granting agency, it's t- typically more so that you get the money a bit more lump sum. You get the money, you have to produce a report, you have to show what you've been able to do. They will check in on you, you know, throughout the period to make sure everything's going well and that you're doing the necessary R&D. So there will be check-ins and whatnot. But with granting agencies, you get a little bit more of the money up front, whereas with contracting agencies, it gets split out over a period of time. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing I can say is come to the SBR events that we do is th- the best best bet is to get to know the program manager. When they meet with you, they will take the time to tell you what they're looking for and what they're thinking to do. And the best part too is, is that if you've got an interesting idea <clears throat> that hasn't been funded before, that will give them, in, for them, that gives them the idea of like, you know, we should fund, we should fund that area of interest. We should, you know, fund in uh, that next-gen AI or cybersecurity or whatnot. It gives them a chance to say, all right, we'll produce a funding opportunity Everyone still has to compete for it, and everyone the best idea wins meritocracy. But you could actually encourage if it needs to be developed. And so you, you go through every one of those applications looking at the merit. The program managers do, yeah. Yeah, they will sit down, each agency, they'll sit down with the SWAT team, and they will review all the applications. And the, That's their job. That's <laughs> Right, okay. And I've been, I've been involved in a few. Like, they'll pull me in for some of them and ask me to sit in on a review process. So I've, I've done it before. I don't do all of them. I mean, that's a lot. It, it, it's a, so, but I, I will, I will carve out time uh, and participate. And I'm assuming in those applications, you need to, aside from the team, you somehow need to demonstrate that you have the wherewithal to yes. reasonably finish and accomplish the goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, and, and you just got to make a compelling, you know, the most important thing for an effective proposal, submission of an effective proposal is really just, it's got to be compelling. It's got to be addressing all the pain points, the issues that they, they are looking. And, you know, it's always important to work with, to, to spend a little extra time ahead of time to put, put something really good together. There are, you know, what's really interesting on SBR.gov, we have listed out, um, we have these resource centers all across the U.S., and they're what we call phase zero centers through our FAST network and through the growth accelerators and even partnering with SBDCs, where most of the states will now have someone who's available to help at that phase zero proposal prep level. They are you know, an economic development specialist, an SBIR-deemed expert is there to assist you in making sure you help, help you, counsel you on putting an effective proposal together. So we, we do partner a lot. So if you go to SBR.gov, there is a state services section. We list out every state, all the different services that are available to help you figure out how to compete effectively. And this is all, uh, this is all basic technology. So I'm assuming uh, issues such as uh, better design, better user experience, better websites, better mobile apps. That's not the purview, right? This is about- no, the yeah, un- yeah. No, we're, yeah, we're more advanced than applied driven. Yeah, we're, we're, we're hitting areas that, you know, the markets are not really touching properly. And that's the reason for your existence is because you want to uh, jumpstart innovation wherever inside the country 
it might be, especially on technologies that may hold promise, may hold substantial promise in the future, but may not have a practical path to uh, funding today. Is that, is that it? Correct. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that we're agnostic. Um, we're not going to just go and find all the cool innovators in Silicon Valley and Boston and that's it. We, we believe there are diamonds in the rough all across the U.S. And so we want to encourage the entrepreneurs who are developing some cool stuff, whether it's in Oklahoma, Nebraska, New Mexico, Rhode Island, Florida. We, the beauty of our program is, is that we really seek to find promising ideas and innovators and promising technological solutions, the potential for solutions across the U.S. And, and that's part of the reason why we're doing the road tours. We're going to we're going across the areas where we think there's promising talent in high-tech small business companies that can grow and germinate, but they just need a little bit of seed funding uh, to, to help help them get forward. Okay. I think we're just about out of time, uh, but just your last, your distilled wisdom advice on companies that want to apply, how do you do it and make sure you win? Just, I know you've spoken about that, but just your, your distilled experience <clears throat> summarized. Be smart, be pragmatic, be risk-taking, and know your stuff really well and, and, and convey a story, convey a narrative that is compelling um, and believe in yourself. I mean, that, that's the, the biggest thing that any entrepreneur, anyone who does entrepreneurship or engages in entrepreneurial activities is, you know, going to always have high highs and low lows. And so it's always important to remember that and, and believe in yourself and believe in your idea and believe in the promise that it could have to be transformational. Okay. Well, what, Great advice. Thank you so much. We have been talking on episode number 169 of CXO Talk with Nagesh Rao, who is the chief technologist and entrepreneur in residence at the Small Business Association. And we've been talking. Administration. Administration. Sorry, sorry. Yours. And we've been uh, talking about the Small Business Innovation Research Grant Program, which is a pretty amazing program where if you apply and you win, the government will just give you cash to develop your idea. So Nagesh Rao, thank you so much for taking the time today. You're welcome, Michael. It's been a pleasure. And uh, everybody, thanks for watching CXO Talk, and we will see you again next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.